such a privilege to be together. I am excited for today as we continue our series, Ruthless, in the book of Ruth, part number three. Are you enjoying it? Did Gabriel behave himself last week? No, he didn't. I'll have to have a word with him. But, but as we've said, the series takes place, this book is written at the end of Judges, and there's a whole bunch of things going on in the land. The Bible says that actually there's anarchy, there's chaos. In the governmental systems, in the leadership of the day, there's chaos, there's famine. People are physically hungry, lacking food. There's famine of resources, famine of opportunity. There's famine. There, there has been death. Elimelech and his two sons have passed away and many others in the light of the famine that's going on in the land. There's two other things. There's been bad decisions made by good people. It's always a tough time when good people... See, it's not, over bad, it's not only bad people who make bad decisions. The challenging, the challenging times come... Good people make bad decisions. And lastly, it's an age and a time of sexual confusion as you've got the Moabite story wrapped in this story and there's crossover and there's cross-pollination. God has spoken into that clarity. And so maybe it sounds a little bit to you like it does to me, like our times. There's a lot going on. And we need to hear God, see God, and find God in the story. And it's the story of Ruth, who deserved no favor, deserved no grace, was not part of the promise, runs to the God of grace, favor, and promise. And encounters ruthless love. And so I want to preach into that today. But before I do, let me pray. God, we give you all the glory this morning. I thank you for each of these little ones. I thank you for the life that you add. I thank you for mothers. I thank you for all that you're doing today in every heart. And I just pray, Spirit of God, have your way. Be with us as we come under your word today. I pray, speak, Father. Set some free. Give others vision and clarity in life. But call us to more. To give you all the glory. Amen. 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 I want to speak about finding favor, but I'm going to do that by opening up with a confession. Who doesn't love a pastor confession? Seriously, it's like you want to bring church alive. Like, oh, the pastor's going to confess something. Now this is, this is going to be good. Lean in. Everyone's like on the edge of their seats. You're not allowed to tell anyone, obviously. It's got to stay here. But I'm, I want to confess something. I was young. I was 21 years old. I was in my fourth year of studies, and my world had fallen apart, to be honest. My parents had been liquidated the year before. Um, options and possibilities were not looking good. The bank was recalling a student loan I couldn't afford. And, um, and then I got a call. Would you come to an interview for a company I'd always wanted to work for in a job I always wanted to do? I wanted to be a brand marketer. I wanted to make TV ads and sell things like ice creams. Imagine that. So imagine two kids, get kids eating sugar. Yes, that was my mission at that time. And, um, and so I got this call to go to an interview. So now I'm like, yeah, this is an opportunity. I've got to maximize this. I've got to dominate this interview. So I'm researching how do you dominate an interview. Back those days, the internet was a bit slower, so it was like. And, and, um, and, and then I realized, mate says to me, well, you're going for a marketing interview. So surely you need to know one of their TV campaigns, you know, one of their TV ads. I went, yes. The only problem was I didn't have money for a TV, even one of those big square box ones. I didn't have that. So I, I had to phone a friend. So I phoned my friend Denzel Nightingale, who was a brand manager at Robertson's, this company I wanted to work for. I said, hey, Denzel, I'm doing this interview tomorrow. He says, ah, that's cool. I said, hey, but I, I don't have a TV, and I know they're going to ask me about a TV campaign. So he says, no problem. He starts telling me about Unbelievable Chicken. Anyone remember Unbelievable Chicken? Robertson's, come on, people. You talk, you're hurting a marketer. You've got to play with me. You're like, no, it was this cooking sauce that you, you cooked in, and he told me all about the ad. I mean, everything about it. So I went into the, the interview the next day feeling like a million dollars. I have got this. 
The interview starts. There was a lady named Mary Ann Hillary. She's interviewing me. She's a Lani at, at, at Robertson's. And, um, and she's asking me all the questions about my studies and life and journeys. And, and eventually she says, hey, well, you applied for a marketing role. I said, yes. She said, okay, well, you know what would be really helpful? Why don't you tell me about one of the TV campaigns that are on TV right now that really struck out for you? And tell me why you think it's important. And tell me why you think it's hitting the mark. So I'm like, oh, I've got this. Ah, I've got this. I am so over this. So I start telling her, unbelievable chicken. And as I said, she's got a little smile. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. I start going down all the, 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 the way the ad looks and, and how it appeals to the emotions and pulls the consumer in and the LSM target market. And I'm just going big. I'm selling this ad. And as I'm going bigger, she starts to giggle. And I'm like, see, the problem with my nature is if someone starts to giggle, I go bigger. Like, I don't question why they, I like it more excited. So I'm like, I've got to get this. I'm like, and this is my future. These are the opportunities. This is like, ah, I'm like going, eventually she is outright laughing and I just stop. I'm like, sorry, what is going on here? I mean, it's like, I'm looking behind. Is there someone behind me? And I said, what's the deal? She said, you have nailed it. I'm like, that's awesome. She says, the only problem, there's a problem. So the only problem is that TV ad has not been launched on TV yet. <laughs> and I'm just like, you know when you feel all the air just come out of your lungs? Like, oh, oh, oh. So you've got no air left, it's done. It's like, ah, uh, all the dreams, my career down the toilet because I lied in an interview. So I walked out of that interview so deflated. I was like, ah, oh, Lord. Please make a plan. But two weeks later, I got a phone call. In round two. In round three. And after six rounds of interviews, I got the job of my dreams that I did for 10 years that I absolutely loved. I absolutely loved it. And, and when I entered on my first day in that career, I sat down with the HR director who had a meeting with the new recruits or whatever, graduates, whatever. And, and, I, and, and he said, hey, can I, can I ask you something? I said, sure. He said, what happened in your interview? I'm like, which interview? No, the first one. He said, well, um, gee, do I tell him I lied? Like, bad day to tell the HR director you lied in the interview. He says, no, because that lady, Marianne Hillary, fought for you so hard to get the job. I'm like, what? She says, no, she fought every time. She kept coming back. She said, that guy, Mark Van Plenton, I want him to work with me. And I'm sitting there going, I lied. Like, I lied. I didn't have a TV. I couldn't even watch it. How does favor work in God's economy? I, I'm not advocating lying. I'm really not. She was impressed by my relational skills. <laughs> I'm not advocating lying, but I sat there and I went home. I'm going, I'm 21 in natural. I got nothing. I was living on a one-bedroom flat on a property at the Anglican church. I wasn't even Anglican, but I would eat their biscuits on a Saturday morning. <laughs> and I said, God, I, I don't know how your economy works, but I want to learn because I like your touch in my life because I can't open doors. And I want to speak today about finding favor because when I look at the book of Ruth, I see a lady who leaves her home, her nation, all the natural favor upon life, and she walks with her grumpy mother-in-law into this land in Bethlehem, and she's essentially looking for a gap. She just wants a gap. 
She just needs an opportunity. She just needs someone. She goes on a job interview with Boaz. She goes into his field, and we'll read it now, and, and it's, it's very clear. She just says this, let me go to the field and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone whose eyes, in whose eyes I find favor. She's just going, I'm looking for favor. She says, I can't do this on my own. I'm not protected in this land. I'm just looking for favor. You know what she finds? If you read the story, and I hope you have, she finds favor. And, but you'll understand in the Bible, favor is a big issue. Noah found favor. Joseph found favor. The children of Israel found favor. Moses found favor. Ruth finds favor. Samuel, Esther, Daniel, they all find favor in God. The Bible uses that word. It's a big issue. And yet we make it a little bit weird in the church sometimes. See, your life and my life, we are stewards of fields. That's what the Bible says. Uses the analogy. We're just farmers. They're God's fields. I came to Cape Town to lead a church, and God said, you're just going to work a field. It's not your field. It's my field, but you're going to go work the field. You're going to be faithful in the field. I'll give you favor in the field if you trust me. Whatever your job is, is a field. The people you meet with, it's a field. You get to work for God, and you need his favor in that space. But the challenge is there's some weird thinking in the church around this thing of favor. I'm going to be honest. So there's the, there's the make a plan version of favor. It's like faith with hints. It's like you can't just have faith because faith on its own is never going to move a mountain. It's faith with hints, which means I'm going to trust God, but I'm going to work really hard to hint along the way with everyone else that I would find favor. You know that kind of guy? I don't know. I can be that guy. So I've had to learn not to be that. There's the apathetic um, God has favorites, so why should I try? It's theology, guys. This is how people believe God works sometimes. And it's, well, well, God's obviously got favorites. You've seen that somewhere. God's got favorites. So why should I? I'm just going to sit back. What about the legalist? If I work really, really, really hard, God will show me favor. What about the unbelieving believer? What do I mean? Well, the one who says, I believe in Jesus, I just don't believe he's actually good. I don't believe he actually gives us his favor in this life, and maybe in heaven I'll encounter it. I would call that the unbelieving believer. And the last one is a topical one, is a generational one that God is speaking, is the entitled believer, that I deserve this. I made a decision to worship Jesus. I went to church on Sunday. It was Mother's Day. God, how can you not give me this job? Sound familiar? I want to speak into these things because I think the story of Ruth, who, who determines to go and make an income for her family in a land she deserves no favor, while her grumpy mother-in-law sits at home who would be protected in that land, Ruth goes out and gets on with it, and she encounters favor in the form of Boaz. But I don't need a Boaz. I've got Jesus. Come on. My Boaz is Jesus every time, and he wins every time. I want to read from Ruth chapter 2. It goes like this. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Boaz is the guy, huh? I mean, he's like, he's the guy. He's standing, he's a wealthy guy with, with privilege in the land. It says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into the field and began to glean Gleaning is this process of walking behind the harvesters. There was a law in place which said you can't, you must leave behind some of the harvest so that those who had no family, had no standing, had no finances could come behind and clean up behind you. It says, and began to glean behind the harvesters. 
And as it turned out, I love the way the Bible presents her. As it turned out. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimineth. Just then, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Anyone's boss ever done that? Thank you. <laughs> he works for the church. And, um, <laughs> but it's like, your boss walks in and says, the Lord be with you. And they're going, the Lord bless you. Imagine work on a Monday. It would be epic. Anyway, that's just me. Boaz asked the overseer of the harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Come here. Don't go and glean another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along with the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you, and whenever you are thirsty, go and drink from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked him, why? Why have I found such favor in your eyes that you notice me, a foreigner? So you've got to understand, in this nation at this time, a foreigner had zero standing. Zero standing. Could be abused would never be driven water by a local, would never be served, and would not be protected by an owner of a field. They were just parasites coming along, taking from the field afterwards. And yet, she finds favor. Three benefits of the favor that Ruth gets is the first one, she gets an opportunity. He says, you stay here and you work for me. I love it and... and uh, uh, just through God's kindness, uh, someone told me they were looking for a job. So I said to him, hey, send me your CV. And, and I sent it on to someone else who sent it on to someone else who sent it on to someone else who sent it on to someone else. And that person just got a job with one meeting on a Friday. I'm going, hey, God, I don't know how that works. But I know when I stay in your field and when you are my father. See, God's not my employer. He's not my boss. He's my father. When I stay in my father's field, I get opportunities that I don't deserve. I got a job with a degree that wasn't up to scratch, with all that stuff. Why? Because I've got a father whose favor is amazing. And secondly, I love it. She gets protection. He says, yeah, you stay here. I've spoken to the men. They will not touch you. Maybe that's what you need today. Protection. Maybe you're feeling horribly unprotected and exposed by life. I want to tell you about God. I want to tell you about the Father. And lastly, she gets kindness. It says this, Ruth 2 verse 13, you have put me at ease by speaking kindly to your servant. She expected to receive harsh words, but Boaz speaks kindly to her. So I don't know how you come to God and what you expect, but God's favor brings kindness. So I want to speak. Here's the million dollar question this morning in the next 10 minutes. How do we find favor in this life? Who, who wants the golden answer? Big, Bo, big bad Boaz gives us the answer. Goes like this. Boaz replied after she asked why. He says, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Finding favor is not a mystery, it's not a mistake, and it's not a minefield. Boaz says to her, I'm going to tell you why you found favor, because you asked me. See, we come often, we just, we don't even want to know what the Bible says. We're just saying, I like the, the idea of God, the genie, so I'm just going to keep trying to do this from heaven. Bible says, no, I'm going to show you, a, a, not a formula, but a testimony of favor. First of this, choose honor. It says this in verse 11, I've been told. See, Boaz has heard the testimony. I've been told about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Of her husband, Naomi. What? I got that wrong. Since the death of your husband, Naomi. So, so Naomi's lost her husband. Uh, Ruth has lost her husband. And, and Ruth has decided, even though she has no legal obligation to serve Naomi, she decided to honor and serve her mother-in-law, who is grumpy. Just if you didn't get that, she's bitter. And you know what? 1 Peter 2 verse 17 puts it this way. Honor all men. You want a credo for your life? You're looking for a vision statement? Honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. King James Version, even the good translation. And it's, it's it, because what goes ahead of Ruth is not her, her, it's her testimony of honor for her mother-in-law. And Boaz goes, yes, why? Because that's a currency of heaven. It's a culture of heaven. It's not of this earth. And I want to tell you, church, if we want to see miracles on this earth and we want to see favor in this life, learn to honor where you don't think you need to. Learn to honor where others are dishonoring. Learn to honor where the Bible says honors and honor. And I want to tell you where the Bible says honor. Leaders in nations. Right now, am I challenged and troubled by some of the politics and stuff? Yes, I am. But the Bible says honor and pray. The Bible says honor and pray. Why? Because it's an amazing thing that every wedding I've done, I read this scripture. Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. I read it every time and before every wedding I say to every couple, who are we going to honor? And then they, they backpedal, oh, but my dad, oh, but my mom, oh, but, and I'm going, no, the Bible says Honor. It doesn't say honor the good ones. It doesn't say honor the ones who left you a trust fund. It doesn't say honor the ones you like or the ones. No, it just says honor. Why? Because then you will live long in the land. There's a promise of blessing after honoring. And I'm telling you, it's real in every circumstance of life. If you want to kick into the economy of heaven, buy into the values of heaven, and honor is one. Sick. And, and, and Boaz just says, hey, Ruth, you honored. That's why favor falls upon your life. Romans puts it this way, and I love this, and I'll read this and move on. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. There's like this, I'm going to honor you. No, I'm going to honor you. No, I'm going to honor you more. There's like this, imagine the church was famous for that rather than what we often become famous for. We will see miracles. Everyone will be rushing in the churches. Why? Because we're buying into an economy of heaven. It's different. Number two, walk in faith. Boaz says, okay, you want to know why this lady gets honor? It's quite simple. He says this, how you left your father and mother and your homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. Well, why did she move? Opportunity? No. She was coming to a land where she would probably be misused. Well, why did she leave? Um, um, open doors? No. She just followed a grumpy, bitter Betty mother-in-law. She's on this journey, and it wasn't a fun treat to hang around her mother-in-law. She had chosen a decision. She'd hung around a community of faith for 10 years, even though they were lacking faith. She's heard the stories of the promises of God. She heard the stories of God navigating people out of slavery into freedom. She knew the stories, and she bought into the story. She said, I'm going to make your God my God. She says that in chapter 1. 
And because she does that, she puts her faith in God, she makes a decision that doesn't line up on a pros and cons list. Make your pros and cons lists. Make your budgets. Do it, but then fall on your knees before the God of heaven and say, God, speak. What does faith look like in my story? Don't do the principles of someone else's life or what you think a preacher would want you to do or say. Live before God. You see, before there was an interview in 2001, July, that opened up a career for 10 years that I absolutely loved, that changed my life. There was a March, when, a February, when I returned from England, I played sport in England, and I was running away. The year before my parents got liquidated, every, my world changed. Everything changed. Everything fell apart. I came home. I landed on a Tuesday. I was literally see-through. I'd been in England winter for six months. See-through. My mate says, we got a men's camp this weekend. I've paid for you. My life people here. I'm like, I'm not going. Where's the men's camp? And I said, it's Kochan. Just listen to the names. Kochan. It's got mozzies this big on the south coast of Natal. I'm not going there. He says, I've paid for you. I'm picking up Friday, 4 o'clock. You are coming. So I went, probably because I was a little scared of him. <laughs> but we started to worship in Skokhan. And as clear as I know, God spoke into my heart, said, you stay here and I will provide for you. And I wrestled and I said, God, I've got an opportunity to go back overseas. I can earn pounds. I can pay off student loans. It makes sense. God said, you stay here. And I made a decision to stay in Durban where I didn't want to be. Because Durban reminded me of failure. Durban reminded me of a family that was broken. Durban reminded me of everything I didn't want to know. But Durban was where God called me. See, Daniel got called to a lion's pit. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego got called to a fiery pit. But with God with them. You know what happened in the months that followed? In March, I met Candace Enslin, who's my wife who got saved in the church while I'd been away. We've been married for 17 years. In, in, in May... An unsaved Irish businessman paid my student loan. I said, why? He said, because you looked after my daughter and because I don't know. Unsaved, he's still unsaved. He doesn't like the church. And then I got an opportunity to go in a career. I'm just telling you, because every testimony has got a backstory. And we like to think it's just, as just so happened. No, there's often a backstory of faith that you don't know. And it's good for us to mind the Bible, because in Ruth's story, there's a backstory of faith. Not just circumstance. Two more things, and I need to move on quickly. The point number three is quite simply this. Maybe it's on the thing. Get off the couch. This is how Boaz says to her, you know why I can honor you, why I can favor you? It says this, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. She had done some stuff. She had come with her mother-in-law all the way from Moab into Bethlehem, and she didn't just sit on the couch going, I'm going to wait and see God, Jesus, take the wheel. Christians love that stuff. I'm like, what is that? Jesus, take the wheel. I'm like, are well, you going to let go on a highway at 130? No, you're not. You're going to steer that thing. So she says, Jesus, and, and Boaz says, you, what you've done. You know what she did? When she arrived in this land, she, she arrives in harvest time. She doesn't go, mm, someone's going to bring me chow. She says to her mother-in-law, who would be protected in the field. She says, even though I would not be protected in the field. Hey, mumsy, you're so grumpy. You stay home. I'll go out and work. And she goes out, and you know what she does? She works. And you know what the testimony of her work is this? She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. The Bible speaks so much about laziness. I'm, I'm, I've got scriptures for days. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. I just want to tell you, we're called to work. 
and it's part of the favor story in our lives. When we put our head down, we get our head down, we honor our bosses, even if they are grumpy. And God pulls us into a bigger story through favor, and she finds favor. And I'm just going to make this statement, and entitlement is a favor killer. You want to see the death of favor in your life. Buy into the story of entitlement that you are owed something. I hate to tell you. The Bible doesn't say you owed something. It says we live in a fallen world. We're going to have to work something. But wow, we can trust a good God. And we need to challenge some of the cultures of our world with the cultures of heaven and bring them back and say, hey, maybe my boss is grumpy. And like you, I've had some very grumpy bosses over the years. And they wanted more than the hours I could give them or what they were willing to pray. Or the Yes, that happens. That's called the world. But God says, I want to pull my favor upon you. So Boaz tells us what that recipe looks like. And lastly, and by far the most important in two minutes, take refuge in God. He says this, all those things. He says, you've done all those things. And he says, may you be richly rewarded, not by him, by the Lord. The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. He says, I'm telling you why you're going to be rewarded, Ruth. It's not because you came into my field and looked for my reward in your life and looked for my providence in your life. You came to my field under the wings of God. When you walk into a workplace, it doesn't matter who your boss is. It matters whose wings you are under. When you're a parent and you're navigating stuff, and I want to speak to the young parents, you're going to have to choose what you will trust with your kids. Because Owen's small now. There's my big boy over there. He's 12 now, and he's got opinions. Turning 13, he just told me. And uh, I can't control his steps. I'm not trying to embarrass you, boy. I love you. But, um, but God has to be his God. And my only posture is to be like Ruth and posture myself under the wings of the God Almighty who's mightier then, who opens opportunities, who brings protection when I won't be there, who pours his favor when I have limited resources. And even though I, I try to be a good father, I'll always be limited. Always. I'll mess up. I'll get angry sometimes. I'll get frustrated sometimes. I'll have personal agendas and ambitions for my kids that I'll try to project sometimes onto them. But the Bible says, even though fathers of this earth can give good gifts, how much more the Father in heaven? I'm not trying to preach some over-prosperity message to buy you into a story. I'm trying to challenge your thinking with the Bible. And sometimes it's not as complicated as we like to make it. Sometimes we aren't the victim of a story. Sometimes we're just in the story and we get to make decisions. How are you making your decisions? Again, in these times, good people were making bad decisions. The Bible comes, shows us Jesus, who makes a way to the Father. This story is not about Boaz. This story is about Jesus. And this story is about the fact that I am not Boaz. I'm Ruth. And you are Ruth. And you need favor. You need protection. You need his love. You need his voice to speak kindness to your heart. 
I'm Ruth, and so are you. And when I'm Ruth, I have to find my posture, the most powerful posture I have. And it's not fighting. See, I'm a fighter. I can fight. I grew up small, so I learned how to fight. I learned how to use my mouth to fight. God says, would you trust me? You get on your knees, take refuge in me. Oh, but I don't like taking refuge. I'm a man and guys don't take refuge. No, rubbish. Rubbish. You were designed to take refuge in the God Almighty. You want to see favor in your life? Get on your knees and stay on your knees. Oh, Mr. Big CEO, no, get on your knees and stay on your knees. Doctor, any lines after your name, no, get on your knees and stay on your knees. Why? Because favor will follow every time. Won't you stand with me? I'm so moved by this word because I think there's much confusion in the church. And it limits our ability to see what God wants us to see. We get a chance to fight for a future in Him. But there's always a backstory to the testament. See, my friends arrived next to the field that my boy was playing rugby on yesterday, and my heart goes. Because there's a backstory to that testimony that blows my mind, that makes my story look like a pale vanilla story in the light of a kaleidoscope. And I'm going, God, I'm so grateful for what you did in your favor upon their life. I don't want the favor that's on their life. I want the favor that's on my life, that's in my Father's heart for me. Stop living in a tall poppy world where you want someone else's story. No, I want the favor that God has for me. I want my Father's favor for me. And I want it for you too. Can we close our eyes just for a second? Zach gets it. I feel like God is moving us in this series. And if you'll let Him, He'll move you. It'll look like humbling sometimes, and it'll look like softening, and it'll look like a lot of things. But I pray it looks like a positioning before His favor again. I want His favor to pour out over every person. I want His favor to pour out over, over Owen today and for every day of his life. And I want his favor to pour out over Margie and every day of her life, even as she still is in a year where she's experienced loss, God's favor pours out over her. Why? Because there's a father in heaven who has fields we know nothing about. 